Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Quitting me apps. Snaps with Grant Shep. Oh, don't mention Grant. Whilst, whilst quitting me up, perhaps. Just don't, don't mention <laughs> Grant Shapps, Whatever you do, that's not, a, that's, that's not going to help, is it? It's not going to help anything, that is it. I don't know who any of them are anymore. I've totally lost track. I know who uh, Sue Allen Braverman is because she has a certain presence, a memorable presence about her. Um, but all of those Robert Jenrick, Grant Shapps titles, all the white folk have all merged into one in my head. The middle-aged white males? Mm. <laughs> yeah, because they're not Reese Mogg, are they? Or Nigel? They're not. No, exactly. Yeah, Reese Mogg, Nigel and Boris, love them or hate them, and I suspect the latter, um, are all memorable. <laughs> They are, actually. It's a, it's a very fair point. But the one you should forget, but I can't because it's so slimy, is is Matt Hancock. Oh, yeah, yeah. They are like characters from the Beano, aren't they? It's like a really extended edition of Lord Snooty <laughs> with all of these. <laughs> all of his, and his pals, I think it was called, wasn't it? Lord Snooty and his pals. They're a bit like a, a, a selection of those, and... Grant Shapps and Robert Jenrick don't quite fit in on the kind of Beano-ness level, uh, and so I can't remember them. No. Nadine no, Doris. Now, you don't forget Nadine. <coughs> you don't forget Nadine. You don't forget Suella. You don't forget Pretty. I mean, if they were just a sort of a, I don't know, a soap opera and, and weren't running the country, it'd be quite good fun. But it's just you know it's just the fact that they're in charge. <laughs> that takes takes all the pleasure out of out of the rest of it, doesn't it? They ought to be like a version of EastEnders mm. instead of Albert Square, like Whitehall, with them with all them, them all living in a load of small houses round and about. Yeah. And then every now and again, that uh, that redhead from the Labour Labour Party, what's she? Angela Rayner. Yeah, she'd just pop round and scream through the window, and then <laughs> and go again, and leave again. They'd all hide in cupboards. <laughs> I think we're onto something here. <laughs> well, you know, they're all going to need a job after they've been voted out. All right. And that is coming at speed. You'd to be think honest, so yeah. yeah. What was that? What was that? We've talked about this before. What mm. was that comedy series that where Mick and Keith ran the village shop? Stella Street. Stella Street. <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's like a, a political version of Stella Street. <laughs> they could do Stella Street for uh, for, for that look, couldn't they? And just, just do impressions of them all. It would be hysterical. How was Liverpool? Liverpool. My goodness. Well, 
it was it wasn't like the others uh, uh, I, I think nobody's gonna say oh, he's all right that H but all the shows are the same aren't they nobody's gonna say that especially not about Liverpool because um I don't know well I was I thought I was fairly shit but uh, I went down quite well and people I spoke to afterwards said they really enjoyed it it had some really delicate um you know essence kind of mo it had moments of essence it did to be fair but it also they were interspersed with a great deal of Les Dawson piano playing uh um you know and uh, mitten chords um but the wrong mitten chords are not even good ones um I mean, I played Here Comes the Flood and I was doing really well with it. And I was right inside it. And then I just got to a chord and I thought, there was nothing. There was no chord. There was just a white space where uh, the next piano where a chord, chord should be. Where the next piano chord should be. <laughs> it wasn't white like the white keys on a keyboard. It was more white like just an empty sheet of A3. Uh, Did it hit you like a red hot poker, <laughs> a white red hot poker? <laughs> no, no, it just hit me like a fog descending suddenly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought, oh, well, that's gone then. And I thought, I'll, I'll just take a stab at what I think it could be. And it went groink. And I thought, no, it ain't that. And I thought, oh, fuck it, never mind. So I just said, oh, fuck it, never mind, and stopped. Which was a shame because it was... You know, it was like being in, in inside a beautiful dream and then somebody pouring a bucket of water over you. <laughs> yeah, but think about how many times people have heard that song reach a crescendo and, and you know, they, have, they haven't heard it your way, have they? No, no, they haven't. Well, they have now in Liverpool. But, right. uh, no, prior to that, um, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I shouldn't think many people have heard it do quite what it did. Uh, so that... Uh, I had the occasional moments of complete mental block, which I could have been alcohol related, but I don't think, I don't think I, I don't think I was hammered or anything. I just was a bit. To be perfectly honest, I think I could put it down to tiredness because I'd I'd been to Poland. I didn't feel like I'd really stopped. It was a long journey back. Then I, you know, went to bed. Loaded the car, went to, drove to Liverpool, you know, through the, through the customary M6 bloody car park. Uh, so it was slow going all the way up. And then the weather happened, at which point it was like deep sea fishing from that moment on. Could have done with oil skins and a sou'wester for Liverpool on, um, on Saturday. Um, it was just mad. It was like a monsoon and a hurricane at the same time. Um, I've not seen weather quite like it. And that it was pretty bad. It, well, I mean, that's the reason I didn't. I mean, we talked a little bit before, but I just didn't venture over because I just I didn't know if I'd get home. No, I think the M sixty two in bad weather is never a good combo, and that was no. really bad weather. It wasn't just you know driving rain. It was you know howling trawling you know in the middle of the north sea during a gale kind of uh, weather and um so that made everything difficult and i thought i'll be all right today as long as i get you know 40 minutes at least 
in bed somewhere asleep. And it just never transpired because I dropped the gear at the cathedral. And as soon as I dropped the gear off, I said to the boys, look, I'm going to go and check in at the hotel and um, have, a, have a little quiet time. I pretty desperately needed. And so I couldn't find the hotel. I went to the wrong... I went to the King's Dock instead of the Albert Dock because the, the postcode of the hotel was... Well, took me to the King's Dock, but I think they shared that postcode. But I ended up on the wrong dock, driving about along the side of the Mersey, um, just unable to find this bloody hotel. And then in the end, I eventually found it, but it took me a, over half an hour. So I lost the valuable bit of time in the day that I could have relaxed. And then the hotel, we were just staying in the Holiday Inn Express, and that's a bit mental, that hotel in Liverpool. Um, there's a lot about it that's mental. First of all, there's no car parking. Second of all, there's nowhere to put a car while you sort of check in. And then you get your bags in and you you haul them over this cobbled courtyard and you have to go up two floors to reception in the slowest lift on earth, apart from the one that I was in once in New York. The second slowest lift on earth that takes forever to come. And then when it comes and you get in, it goes... To the second floor, uh, very, very slowly, uh, like something that should have been oiled has never been oiled. Um, and then you check in, and then you need to go to the third, well, I needed to go to the third floor for my room, and the lift that took another 10 minutes to arrive. And by the time I'd done all that, found my room, which was the customary one-and-a-half-mile walk from the lifts, um... And which was actually a nice room, except that they they haven't thought it through. Um, no mains points anywhere near the bed. I mean, hello, in in two thousand and twenty three, you don't put a mains point near a bed or a USB point, so people can't have their phone next to them while they're sleeping. They can't use it as an alarm clock. They can't charge it. I mean, hello. Anyway, there were there was there was no mains anywhere near the bed, so you had to charge your phone on the other side of the room. So you had to get out of bed if you had a text come in <laughs> to read it, <laughs> um, or you know, if you want to phone home, you've got to get out of bed, go and phone over, and then go back to bed. So that just really really simple things like that. That for whatever reason they haven't either thought about or bothered doing uh, apart from that the room was nice, the bed was nice, can't grumble uh, 316 Holiday and Express, Albert Dock and um, so by the time I'd done all that I then realised that I hadn't had anything to eat all day and this was my only chance, I thought well I better go and eat so there was a calf next door so I went next door and as I sat down at the table, Phil phoned and said we're ready for you um, so I said, look, give me an hour because I just haven't eaten. I've got to eat. So then I had about, you know, just some ate some barbecue, deep fried chicken nonsense whilst listening to 
somebody that could have been Beyonce Knowles or Mariah Carey screaming and vocally acrobating through an entire album uh, while I twitched. Um, then I went back to soundcheck, ran through a few things, but by the time I'd really sat down and got a sound, it was five minutes from doors. So I didn't have time to rehearse. I didn't have time to, to just refresh anything. So they were opening the doors. So there's nowhere in that place either to kind of... You can't walk from anywhere to anywhere without walking through the audience. So I walked through half the audience because they'd open the doors early, which is fine because it was like the end of the world out on the street weather-wise. So everybody was wet through and freezing cold and sitting in the bar by then. So I, I had to go through the bar to get in the dressing room. It's just all a bit bonkers. Um, so then I went back to the hotel for the much-needed quiet time. But by the time I got there, I'd basically got 15 minutes, which was just enough time to iron a shirt and have a shave. Um, and so then <laughs> I thought, oh, well, I might as well just put my stage clothes on. So I got, you know, I put my shirt on my posh jacket. Well, it's all relative, but posh to me. Um, and uh, drove back. Um, you know, meanwhile, down on the street, <laughs> there was a, a great big wheel next to me. Um you know, like the London Eye, a bit smaller than that, but big. And the pods, it was closed, obviously, because no one in their right mind would have got on it. But the the pods were all swinging around, you know, with the wind and the rain. And I was looking at it, it was outside my window. I'm thinking, God, I wonder if that's going to stay up. Um, anyway, I got back in the car and I thought, I've got to get, I've got to get back to this gig as fast as way I can so I, I loaded up Google Maps and it said fastest route four minutes I thought right that's all right and it was about 20 past seven I was on stage at eight so I thought right that'll get me there for half past I'll be able to just chill get me ducks in a row just decide what I might play and not play and what I might do and not do uh, anyway this four minute drive took 50 minutes because um, it led me straight into a gridlock um, in, a, in a line of traffic <coughs> that didn't move at all. And I couldn't reverse, I couldn't turn round. I just sat in it with uh, Heart Christmas, tuned into Heart Christmas, listening, <laughs> listening to all these Christmas tunes, trying to get in the mood. <laughs> Whilst, whilst the the deep sea trawler weather raged outside, and I watched people actually being blown over on the street, uh, and uh, you know all the uh, Liverpool people are hard. You know some some of these some of these people were weren't really wearing much and were walking along as though it wasn't even drizzling. Um, you know in the. In the this force ten storm. I'm thinking, God, they kind of. And some people would just stood in the street, you know, casually, like you'd stand in the street staring into space on a summer's evening. Some people were doing that. They weren't even sheltering. Uh, and I thought, blimey, they're uh, maybe they're used to pretty serious weather here. They don't bat an eyelid. Um, 
Anyway, so then I got back to the um, the crypt at eight o'clock when I was due on stage. So I had just enough time to walk through the audience, go, go back to the dressing room, have a quick, uh, you know, a really lightning fast tequila and Red Bull, and then, you know, pick my laptop up and go on stage. So I wasn't at my most prepared, I think, and and I wasn't rattled or anything, but I, I, I think I was tired and I just made one one silly mistake and, you know, one mental block after another, after another, after another. But I got a few things right and the, some of what I got right was really exquisite. So if you've paid to see one exquisite thing, you got your money's worth. But if you've paid to see a, re a really good, well-played show, you definitely wanted your money back. But nobody's asked for it back. So that was my view of Liverpool, Anthony. That is the longest answer you've ever given to a single question in 189 episodes. I mean, just, you know, I was just sat here thinking, he's not paused for breath yet. He's been talking 15 minutes. <laughs> I was just trying to, I was just, I was just reliving it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, first up, I don't know if anybody necessarily pays to see you on the pretext of, of, of of forty five minutes worth of well well scheduled, well rehearsed, absolutely <laughs> exquisiteness all the way through. I don't think that's why we come to see you. I might be wrong. No, I'd say you I'd say nobody could argue with that fact because if if they did, my gigs wouldn't be selling out. There'd be no. there'd be fifteen people there. Who wouldn't come back? Well, unless and unless every single time they're full of people who've never been, <laughs> which I don't think is true either. <laughs> no. Because you catch on fairly quickly. When you come to your first natural show, you do catch on very quickly. Yeah, this isn't a show, it's a vibe, it's, it's an adventure. That's it is. That's kind of what they are. Ian Ellington made a great... The lovely Ian Ellington, who kind of organises the Liverpool shows for me at the end of the evening, he said, how was that? I said... Well, <laughs> I said it wasn't tight. <laughs> he said, "He said, you know, have you ever wondered why people go to see Formula One?" I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, they don't go to see who wins; they go for the crashes." <laughs> and I thought, "Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there." That's <laughs> you should be playing arenas. <laughs> that's what I'm selling out. <laughs> you should be playing arenas. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I'll go, well, I said, yes, I think I may have been at Ayrton Centre for the last two and a half hours. <laughs> He's good on the straights, but I've never <laughs> seen him get through the chicane. I wasn't good on the straights, Anthony. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I was spinning off. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm really now, I'm really, it's a real shame that I missed it because I... I uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked to have come for the crashes as well. <laughs> there were many, right? <laughs> but it had a certain spirit, and, and I also made the the mis well, not the mistake, but the, that kind of willing, um, bloody-minded. Um, you know, I had that impetus to to play songs that people were requesting that I knew for a fact that I didn't know at all. Um, just you know, because it's Christmas. <laughs> uh, so 
a lot of people were shouting out for things I didn't know, and I was I was doing them. Um, I played "It's a Sin" by the Pet Shop Boys, um, and I didn't know that, and um, so that was a bit ramshackle. I played "Genie." A lot of people are shouting for "Genie." Um, that was really ramshackle. Um, so there was quite a few songs I played that that, that just kind of, you know. In that moment, were you hoping for something divine to happen? Were you thinking, do you know what? I need? All I need to get this back on track is the that kind of divine moment where I can play something I've never actually played before in my life. I think what it is, you know, the, the Liverpool crowd, I've been to Liverpool so many times and they've always welcomed me so warmly. That there's a special feeling in that city, for me, definitely. Um and I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it comes from the fact that they just sense somehow that that, that city's meant a lot to me over the years and w- without me having to say it or articulate it. I think they just feel it. And so they've always looked after me. And for that reason, it's not that I'm expecting a divine intervention and, and God will tell me how to play this song. I don't know. It's just that... I, uh, on some level, I don't need to know it in a way, and I know that I don't really need to know it, and that I'm amongst um, not friends, but 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 really, um, you know, I'm among well-wishing folk who will lo- well love it because I'm trying, rather than because I'm necessarily nailing it, and provided I can stay true to what I'm trying to do uh, and keep it honest they'll they won't feel cheated I think that's I mean I'm trying to articulate something that's really just a a feeling and an act of faith and you can't always put those things into words no but here's the thing Um, when I left university, I went and lived in Newcastle for a while and instantly got Newcastle. And the people in Newcastle, there were three of us who went up. We were all graduates. And for whatever reason, Alison and myself, people there just took to us straight away and they welcomed us as one of their own. And the mm. other chap who came up had come from further down south, never fitted in. They never, they never, it never clicked for him and it did for us. And I think, I think that's the thing. I think they've welcomed you as one of their own. And and yeah. in doing that, then I think everything's everything's fine. But the question is why, isn't it? It's a feeling. It's not something you could actually rationalise at the end of the day. Um, no, but they're a pretty good judge of character. Think of the people who've think of the people who've been right rejected by Liverpool in the past, and there's quite a lot of them. You know, including including our last but three prime minister or whatever <laughs> Boris was, they they're fairly good at at, at, at sniffing out shyster. Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe you know Newcastle and Liverpool have that in common that they're down to earth people who can can sniff bullshit a long way off um, in a way that perhaps other parts of England are much. You know, they're impressed by other things. They're impressed by the shine and the money um, and can turn a blind eye to the honesty, provided that it's got money and shine. And I think 
the reverse is probably true of of Newcastle and Liverpool. They 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 don't they don't they, they don't give so much of a damn about the presentation as long as they can can sense the truth in it. Yeah, if you mean it and you put in the effort in, and and to be honest, I would lump in. I've always because I've got this thing about those cities, but I would I would also add in Glasgow and Sheffield. I think there's something about yeah. all four of those cities so that I. have all been on the uppers, that have all been left behind for a lot of time. People didn't want to go there, mm. and I think they're proper proper you know community, very true to their roots places. And I think the people just recognise if you if you're there for the right reasons, you've always gone to Liverpool. You, you, it's not somewhere you've been because it felt like the right place to go at a particular time. Particular time. You've, you've, you know, it's, it's always been, had an affection for it's you. You've always part, had an affection it, for it. It's been partly, um, it's been partly fate as well. You know, I mean, it was the Beatles that turned me on to music, or, or maybe that's not even true. It was the Beatles that turned me on to how music could be completely magical in an unexplainable way. How it could be, how it could intoxicate you, and lift you, and put you in a place that very, very few other things will ever do, except maybe love and really good sex. <laughs> um, that you know will put you in a place that is, you know, not not where life is most of the time. And music can put you there. It can put you in that um, elevated, transcend, transcended state. Uh, and the Beatles put me there when I was seven years old, and um, that was the beginning of it. And the consciousness that they were from there, and that they weren't just from Liverpool; they were of Liverpool. And and then you know, years later, um, going and spending a lot of time there at Park Street making brave and 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 making afraid of sunlight there which is some of our best work um and mixing this strange engine there so we then spent a lot of time in living in in that city and and creating and working and you know, when the girl drops her change in 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 the Runaway song, you know the tube the tube train. We recorded the tube train in in London, but I needed her to drop her purse as she got off the tube. You know, so we, me and Mark, went to Lime Street Station and threw coins at the station platform. You know, with a little little dat recorder. And then we spun that in, so she she would drop her purse as she got off the train. Um, so all of those little magical things that that little details that that were in those magical albums, they were all they all kind of were of Liverpool as well. So so already the 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 town my mum supported Liverpool Football Club and of course Mike's absolutely bonkers for Everton. So and Mike's from uh well he lives in Southport but he's I think he's a proper scouser. Um you know, and Roger McGough and, uh, and all of that. So so Liverpool always meant something to me. And maybe they maybe the 
people there could just sense that when I sat down on my own with them, that there was, there was a, you know, a sense that it was spiritually special, that they, that they already know. Hmm. Should we start? Yes. <laughs> we should. How are you, Anthony? I'm, re- I'm really well. I think we might have just got past our record of the longest intro, which was only last week. I think we might have just. I think we might have just gone, gone past it. Oh, I got all emotional then. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, and, and I, but the thing is, I understand. I really understand why. And you know, I grew up around Sheffield. I think Sheffield's got a lot of. There's a lot of similarities between all those four cities I mentioned. I felt it when I moved to Newcastle. It felt the same. I felt like I was in somewhere I understood. Mm. And when I've spent time in Liverpool, I felt it there. And I've spent quite a lot of time in Glasgow, and I absolutely feel it there. And I've not felt it in other places. Yeah. Well, they've and I'm not... not knocking Manchester, and I'm not knocking Leeds, and I'm not knocking Edinburgh. No. I just don't feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is something special about it, so which is, and then it's hardly surprising why something like the Beatles would happen in a place like Liverpool. Yeah, you know? I could go on, you know. I mean, there's that whole thing as well about my dad having been in the Navy and, um, you know, and the, the, the maritime aspect to the city. And he used to sail out of Liverpool sometimes. And so, you know, when I sailed out of Liverpool to, to go to Ireland for the first time and not knowing, but, but right in Easter as, as I went across on the, uh, on, the, on, the, on the ferry to Ireland, all of those things are part of me now. Mm. I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. Right. One eight nine. I've made an executive decision. We're going to go at one eight nine, irrespective oh. of whether that's the episode number or not. Okay. Well, I'll save it as one eight nine. Really, <laughs> right. possibly this week. My, my filing system's a bit mad these days. <laughs> Hello and welcome to chapter one hundred and eighty nine of the Corona Diaries. Yeah. We're not going to get round to friends from the orchestra again this week, are we? I'm perfectly willing to reminisce. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about about the fact that actually we would normally be going for diary about now. All uh, oh, right, okay. Well, we don't have to do that. I've finished it. Are I'm, you doing? Are you doing? Duck and the truck. Yeah. Why not? I think you. I think you should. I'm going to go and dig that out, and I'll 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 read the duck and the truck just for shits and giggles. I think you should. I think you should. While we're working out what's going to happen. And by the way, that is an interesting thing, folks, actually, because, uh, I mean, we've had people offer to send in their own bits of diary for us to read. That might work. Yeah, that could work. Just just send us something in. You had an interesting day. There was one really good comment. I think it was Helen Thompson, although I could be wrong, um, who said... Why don't you invite people to send in their reason for being into your music and, and their story for how it happened for them and what what pushed that button and flicked that switch and turned them into, you know, the kind of people who are, who, who are so passionate that they would be purple for you, you know. Um, and that's a double entendre because they probably would hold their breath till they were purple for me, you know, if I asked. Um 
there's that level of of affection and faith and i do recognize it and so i think that could be interesting just just to read out i mean if i if i can do it without blubbing obviously if, if i could read out um other people's reasons to to be with us on this journey um and it doesn't have to be deep, meaningful, heart-rending stuff. It could just be... <laughs> I was bored in lockdown. You're shit in a good way. Uh, or whatever. <laughs> you drive really fast into walls. <laughs> you spin off on straights. Uh, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you turn when you shouldn't and you go straight when you should turn. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's a really nice idea. In fact, do you know what? The idea of people just sending in a page of anything that moves them, be mm. it be it why you're purple, be it something to do to do with the general thing we've got going on, I think would be fascinating. I do. It'd be worth. I'd like to. You know, I'd, I'd like. I mean, people do occasionally email me and explain, but. And not everybody does, and I'm sure everyone has their own little story as to you know when they first heard the music, what they thought of it then, or you know whether they didn't get it or or got it and or, or didn't get it and got it later. I met um, I met a lady after after the show in Liverpool, and she was with her husband, and she said, "Oh, he's been you know I've had to put up with your music for years and years and years." Um. You know, and he even used to drag me to shows, and I'd sit And she said, "I, I really, I really came out of love for him more than anything else." She said, and then he put an hour before it's dark on, and she said, "My lord, for whatever reason, I got it, and I went back and listened to everything else, and." I got all that as well, even though I'd I was I'd I'd heard it all so many times before, I'd never got it, and then I got it, and now I'm here as a fan. I'm not here as a kind of reluctant wife <laughs> of a fan. I'm here as someone who, you know, who's just as keen to get here as he is, and I thought that was really lovely, but really interesting as well. That 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 maybe our music needs unlocking somehow um for, for certain people funnily enough i read a post on facebook this morning where somebody had put i'm really really trying i just can't get an ad for it's dark i've tried and i've tried and, tried and it's just not unlocked yet I will. And, and and actually a lot of people do put posts out where they will say do you know what i love everything but so and so it just hasn't happened yet I think the nice thing is that in most instances people don't worry about it they just wait till it does they're using the word yet yeah that's what's yes. lovely um and, and i think that's i think that's i think that's a magical thing and i think it's i mean for that person who's i mean to be able to go back i mean grief i'd love to be able to go back now and rediscover it all again hmm yeah, I'd like to hear all the Beatles catalogue for the first time. For the first time? I'd like to hear Abbey Road for the first time. That would be amazing. Side two. And be... maybe there's a bit about where you have to be in your life. You know, Dylan, I, I unlocked Dylan late. Hmm. I couldn't do Dylan when I was younger. And there's still, don't I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't eulogise about everything that he's done because I think, I think 
there's a lot in the catalogue and I don't necessarily think it's all to the same level. But there's some absolute moments of 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 exquisite genius in what he's done. But it didn't come until really, really late. Mid mid forties, I would have said. Mm. You know, yeah. Leonard Cohen's probably the same. I came to Cohen late. Yeah, you see, for me, Dylan is he's he's a genius, obviously, but so much of what he's written is rhetoric. You know, he will ask the right questions, and that'll stop, and you'll think, you know, how many seas must a white dove fly before she can sleep in the sand? It's an incredible. Um, image and it's an incredible rhetorical question, but it doesn't, it doesn't answer anything. Um, it doesn't really describe what it is this white dove is escaping from. You know, he doesn't articulate. Whereas Leonard Cohen, he gives you the absolute essence of of what it is to be human. And he articulates um, his pain. You know, he'll just, you saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you. Um, is, that's not how many this, how many that, the answer's blowing in the wind. That's boom, you know. Um, I mean, I'm probably, someone's going to shout, someone's going to scream back at me about how many times Bob Dylan has articulated perfectly something but my in my experience what leonard cohen has is is that ability to 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 to, to drop that essence into in, into the palm of your hand and for me dylan kind of it it doesn't do that to me the same way it answers it, it asks some great questions um and it takes you to a place but but Cohen, for me, Cohen's the man. You know, he really is. Mm. But again, when did you? When did Cohen? When did that happen for you? I mean, did that happen all the way back, or no? I heard Leonard Cohen when I was really young because uh, my mate John Leedale, who who texted me the other day, completely out of the blue. Um, but um, he, his older brother Alan. Because he was older, was into more sophisticated shit, and so he had Leonard Cohen records, and I didn't get it at all. I just thought, oh, I'm a miserable fucker. I wasn't using that kind of language at that age. I must point out, but that—that's probably how I would articulate <laughs> what I thought <laughs> these days. <laughs> what a miserable fucker. Um, yeah, I didn't get it. I, 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 I didn't really. I was bulldozed by Leonard Cohen one one Saturday afternoon. In much much later life, probably about twenty years ago, um, when I heard Famous Blue Raincoat on the radio and had to sit down. Mm. There's a thing with there's a thing with people like Cohen when you hear something and you're knocked out and then you just peel back a little bit more and go. My God, it's all this good. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is an equal measure, breathtaking, and I imagine, as a particularly as a musician or a songwriter, a little bit bloody annoying as well. Well, you you have to feel for him in the sense that 
he was obviously such a perfectionist that you know you you can't maintain that standard without striving for it without at no point just going well this is all right and i wrote it so it's good you know he didn't have that he had that this isn't good yet this isn't good yet if it takes me another two years no one's hearing it till till i've got you know till i'm sure i've got it so to have such high standards and the desire to maintain them you've got to feel sorry for people like that you admire them but you must feel sorry for them because it's a hard life that it's a it's a difficult path to to travel um emotionally and intellectually and and you know it's it's almost a form of mental illness because you, you when you're striving to attain greatness um happiness is not coming your way in a hurry um and maybe that's i think i i get the feeling leonard cohen found happiness but he found it as an old man you know he woke up one day and realized what he'd created over the years and the people that he'd moved and and i guess this is where i am now um um I, I can i wake up in the morning quietly celebrate the the people that that i've moved and the and the amount of affection that's out there for me which is such a blessing and so weird um and i think i think cohen probably woke up one one morning with with that you know savoring that for the first time instead of being tortured by by his art but he must have been tortured by his art to to have done all that amazing stuff, you know, to create those amazing words. Um, so on the one hand, I feel sorry for him, but in later life, I, I I'm I'm right there with him, and uh, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that he died happy because I think he did. Unless, of course, we're talking about Sunday when you woke up just thinking, "Why the hell is my phone all the way over there?" Well, it's the little things that piss you off, isn't it? <laughs> what am I doing? I actually woke up on the Sunday grateful that that big wheel hadn't fallen through the room because <laughs> <laughs> I was half expecting it. On the one hand, we wouldn't have got an episode this week, folks. On the other hand, you might have, you'd have been on the news. Yeah. <laughs> Should we go to the duck and the truck? The duck and the truck. Let's go to the duck and the truck. Never thought I'd say that. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to take you to the muck. Here it comes. This is a duck driving home in a truck. This is the track which is taking him back. This is the rock struck by the truck. And this is the muck where the truck becomes stuck. These are the feet which jump the duck down into the muck, all yucky and brown. 
This is the frog who spies from the bush and croaks, I'll help you give it a push. What a nice chap. This is the push of a frog and a duck. And this is the truck still stuck. This is a sheep driving home in a jeep. Get out of the way, he yells with a beep. This is the quack of an angry duck. I can't, he snaps. My truck is stuck. What a cheek, bastard. Hmm, this is the quiet as they think what to do. Got it! croaks Frog. Sheep can push too. This is the slurp and squelch and suck as the sheep steps slowly through the muck. Yuck. <coughs> this is the push of a sheep, a frog and a duck. And this is the truck, still stuck. Ah, this is the happy, sleepy goat, relaxing in his motorboat. This is the ear that hears the shout. My truck's in the muck and it won't come out. This is the rope. And here's the goat's plan to tie a knot as tight as they can. These are the wheels finally gripping. This is the knot suddenly slipping. This is the truck with the engine on fast, back on the track, unstuck at last. This is the duck driving home in the truck, leaving the frog, the sheep and the goat stuck in the muck. There's gratitude for you. Supposed to be Arnie. That we know. It's the Carlsberg advert. Was it? <laughs> this hitting probably the finest That's... podcast in the world. That was the Cookie Monster. All right. Well, you know, I'm doing my best. Or the Honey Monster, or whatever. <laughs> what was it actually? Cookie or it's he Cookie the... Monster, isn't it? Sesame Street. Oh yeah, 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 on Sesame Street, yeah. Yeah. Or the Honey Monster. He was tell him about the Honey Mummy, wasn't he? The Honey Monster. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. You said you wanted to say something. You said, "Are we going back in? I've got something to say." I have got something to say. I'd just like to point out because I had a few comments on the guest book uh, that were incisive and correct. Somebody said, "Surely Pete Townsend." is one of the most amazing guitarists you ever were in a room with and saw. And that's quite true. He absolutely is. And um, 
And I was in a room, and it was a transformative moment. So why the hell I couldn't think of Pete Townsend when I was going on about, you know, the guitar heroes? Um, Absolutely Pete Townsend. And then uh, just this morning, um, I got a a message as well mentioning Adrian Ballou. And how the hell did I not mention Adrian? Because he's incredible as well. And, you know, incredible in his own way. You know, he's not playing blues in A either. And someone else said, what? No, Dave Gilmore. Um, and, of course, there's n- absolutely no question Dave Gilmore's got magic in his fingers. Um, and, you know, he's not one of those whittly-whittly players. He's just a, he's just a player that, that is, again, you know, transcendent. But it's transcendent blues playing. Um, and so many guitarists play the blues and play those blues scales. Whereas, you know, Adrian Ballou, hello. <laughs> That's coming from Venus, what he's doing. Um, and an amazing technician who plays with pure joy as though it's the easiest thing in the world and not really worth taking that seriously. So I love the fact that he has that attitude to his playing. There's none of that tight-assed, oh, I've suffered, or oh, aren't I really good, or, you know, even though he is, um, with Adrian. There's just joy. I've never seen joy come off a guitarist the way it comes off Adrian Ballou. Um and I was fortunate to to hang with him, man. You know, on on the cruise, and uh, him and his family. Oh, we had a we had a lovely half hour together. Um, so, yeah, big, 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 big respect to Adrian Ballou. And I cannot believe I didn't mention Pete Townsend, who kind of it wouldn't be that much of a a stretch to say he changed my life. He he, he certainly made me think about performance and what's possible and what what you really should do if you get on a stage you know that it's not it's not a a right it's an extreme privilege and you've got to get up there like your life depends on it and and the who definitely always did and that's what sets really set them apart for me so i just wanted to mention it and i can't believe i say sorry to those guitarists not that they'll be listening but to uh of all the people for missing that out and i would concur with all of those things though i've not actually seen any of them apart from gilmore right so right. uh because it was very much a question of guitarists should seen um rather than just listing all those and i, I you know um and i only saw gilmore as part of one of those shows where it was actually the 50th anniversary of the fender strat they did a, a concert and loads of people were there and gilmore got up and played at the end and he was Yes, he's in his own place, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's... Right, absolutely, absolutely. But at the same, but in the same gig, you know, Brian May was there, and yeah. um, um, and Hank was there, and Ronnie Wood was. I mean, Ronnie Wood was just absolutely pissed. So Ronnie Wood probably <laughs> didn't remember being there. But um, but there was a whole group of them. Um, I think I'd that... get on with Ron. <laughs> I don't know how you couldn't get on with Ron. I don't even say I don't. I don't. I don't know how you're not already besties. Uh, well, I think he's besties with everybody, isn't he? It kind of is, yeah. He's just, you know, he seems to, he, he pops up in all these places. Like he was at the, wasn't he at the Ronnie O'Sullivan, that film that Ronnie O'Sullivan just made? He was at the premiere for that. Was he? Uh, you man. know, and, he's, and I just get the impression anywhere there's a, my other favourite person at the moment is Ray Winston. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Follow Ray Winston on Instagram, folks. He's absolutely amazing. Oh, I've got a friend. She passed away last year, unfortunately. But she used to be a theatrical agent. And she used to go on about Ray Winston. She'd had some. She'd had some very raucous evenings with him. Uh, and she, she, she said he was lovely. Oh, he just, he just spends his life going to and from Italy, where he's got a house, eating and drinking. <laughs> that's, all, that's all he does. That's all he does. And, 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 and such joy is written over that man's face about his entire life. He's probably thinking, how on earth have I ended up here? Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we all do, I think, to some degree. Maybe it's even stranger if you're an actor because, you know, someone's even writing it for you. So. To achieve massive success as an actor must feel like an act of God, you know, like some some you've, the fingers come down out of the clouds and touched you on the forehead and gone, it's you, um, you know. To be making a really good living as an actor must feel like the most incredible blessing. He did this one post on Instagram last year, and he he got up and he's wearing he's wearing a dressing gown that looks like John Motson the sports commentator's coat it's like a sheepskin dressing gown <laughs> right. it's all it's all he appears to be wearing because he's, he's got this he's, his hair's all over the place he's well, clearly just got up you wouldn't want a lot on under that would you really? <laughs> no <laughs> but he's just got on and he was he was banging on about Harry Kane ought to be wearing the rainbow armband at the World Cup or whatever it was <laughs> so he's banging on about that and halfway through he stops and he sparks up a fag and carries on going and it's the most <laughs> joyous moment it's like he's like everybody's granddad. yeah yeah. Just absolutely, ju- but it's Ray Winston. Yeah, what a fella! Yeah. If Ian, if if Ian Mosley had an Instagram account, that's I what thought, it would be I like. I thought I thought of Mosley, but as you said that, I nearly, I nearly said sounds like a spiritual brother of Mosley. I think they would be spiritual brothers. Mm. Mm. Oh. Um, we ought to we ought to knock it on the head. We've been going for ages. We ought oh, to. Okay. Uh, we we probably ought to warn folks that we're going to do one of these before Christmas. We're going to do one ninety, so you'll get one just before Christmas. Um, but we're going to take a week off, aren't we? Uh, yes, if nobody minds, uh, perhaps we could just have one week where uh, where where we we languish amongst the pudding and the hard liquor, um, and the, and the family, of course. I said that in the wrong order, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, but Pudding and Hard Liquor is a great title for the episode. <laughs> really is. Pudding and Hard Liquor. Oh, and the family. Yeah, I think Christy, yeah. Christy Moore doing am called Smoke and Strong Whiskey. This is our version of Smoke and Strong Whiskey. <laughs> pudding and Hard Liquor. <laughs> well, that's Christmas, isn't it? That is Christmas. <laughs> right, well, I'll see you next week. Okay, um, darling. And uh, and we'll do one more before we we, we wrap. You, obviously, by then you'll have been to Oxford. Yes, and Sussex. I'm, and going, Sussex. I'm going to Sussex tomorrow uh, for another one, and then home very briefly, and straight off to uh, Oxford on Friday for for two double header, playing the proper piano, uh, playing the the grand piano whilst Phil, you know, mutters and chanters in the background because he hates the real ones. He can't, you know, he can't turn them up because they go, woo. Um, so there's always a little bit of a with Phil Brown over the fucking thing. Fucking piano, fucking, fucking stand away my ass, fucking piano. Fuck. There'll be a lot of that. 
in a house of God, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> like, so beautifully matched to a house of God is Phil Brown. They keep having us back. I, don't, I, I never I thought. Well, they, I thought once and that would be it. You know. Well, they're probably trying to save him. <laughs> well, that's great. Not much over that. It's like, it's like going home, going to St John's, you know, Spent so much time there now. I'm a, I'm a fixture. <laughs> you are. You covered on. You covered on the insurance. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone. We'll uh, we'll see you soon. I hope you enjoyed the duck in the trunk, um, and uh, we'll see you on number one ninety, if indeed it is one ninety. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.